Acts 9, beginning at 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows, excuse me, all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Father, these are your words to us today, and we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to not only see you, but also, Lord, to see Jesus and also to see, Lord, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We give you our hearts, and we give you our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning we do begin our sermon series that will be focused on the mission statement of our church, which states, We seek to passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. In other words, it is the greatest desire of our hearts to glorify God by sharing the gospel with everything, everybody that we meet, so they might know the supreme joy of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, this is how Aerosmith Baptist Church has determined to accomplish our call from God, to fulfill the greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our souls and all of our minds and all of our strengths and to love our neighbor as ourselves and to fulfill the Great Commission, to go with all the authority that Jesus has given us and make disciples to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has taught and commanded us. Our text for this morning is from the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. In the New Testament, it was written by a Greek physician named Luke, who had come to know Jesus uh, 
as Lord and Savior. We're using the book of Acts because it is a written record of the first Christians on earth and how they shared the gospel of salvation. We're also using the book of Acts because Luke chronicles the birth and the growth of the first church as they sought to spread the good news of Jesus throughout the world. We're not going to start from Acts chapter 1 because we already did that three years ago. (laughs) But we did go uh, three years ago through Acts chapter 1 to 9, and there we learned after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus about the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the ministry and the witness of the apostles. And we also learned about Saul of Tarsus, the great enemy of Jesus, the, the murderer of Christians, the destroyer of churches, and of how Saul was conquered and subdued by the powerful presence of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, then, Saul becoming Paul comes to faith in Christ, and he became the apostle Jesus would use to spread the good news even further out as a missionary. And so, as a result, we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So that's the first, basically, evangelism uh, record that we have. Today, we begin our walk through the rest of the Acts of the Apostles, so we might learn how to truly, passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. Hopefully, maybe even after this sermon, you will remember that mission statement. In Acts 9.32, after writing of Paul's conversion, Luke picks up the activity of the Apostle Peter. Peter is last mentioned in Acts 8.25 when he and John had just returned to Jerusalem from sharing the gospel in Samaria. Peter now moves west to the Gentile area of the Mediterranean coast of Palestine. Uh, This area was known as Philistine country. And it was in this area that Samson, empowered by the Holy Spirit, picked up the doors of the city gates of Gaza and lifted them on his shoulders and he carried them up a hill, demonstrating to the Philistines the power of the Spirit of the living God. This is where Peter is coming into right now. Despite the previous times of persecution of Saul uh, by the Jews and the gospel making this constant progress, it's spread to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Galilee and beyond. the, The gospel is moving out in this text. Our adversary, the devil, is powerless to resist the conquering Christ. Amen? He is powerless against the progress or progress of the gospel. Peter came to personally understand that. When we first meet Peter in the gospels, he comes across as pretty weak in his character. Um, But as God has a plan for every born-again Christian, He has a way that he changes those things in our lives. And God began to transform 
Peter. We see it early when Peter was brought to Jesus by Andrew, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you should be called Caiaphas, which means Peter. So in this text here, both Caiaphas and Peter both mean rock, which means Jesus was saying, You are going to be my rock of faith. I'm going to make you a, a rock in character for the kingdom of God. And we see that beginning to flow out of Peter in Matthew 16. When Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? To which Peter then declared, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus then told him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Very clearly, Jesus is giving Peter a prominent role among not only the faith, but among the apostles themselves. We see that in the way Peter is then shown. We see Peter was commissioned by Jesus after he rose from the dead to feed Jesus' sheep. Literally, he says to Peter, I want you to teach my disciples. Peter was also one of the three that was present during the glorious transfiguration of our Lord Jesus. Peter also had the distinction of being the only apostle and probably the only human being who ever walked on water. But Peter was also pretty much like the rest of the apostles. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit as the apostles were on Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 1 through 8, we read of Peter, like the rest of the apostles, being a bold witness for Jesus Christ. He fearlessly is the one who told the religious leaders, we must obey God rather than men. So by the time we catch up to Peter now in chapter 9, we find that through God's working in his life, he has become that true rock of the Christian faith. We see this as our text. We find Peter following through with the commission to go out and spread the gospel. And as he does, we read two stories that Luke puts in this book. The first story is about a man who was healed, who had been paralyzed for eight years. And the second is uh, raising a woman from the dead. Why did Luke include these two stories? Well, because Luke wants us to view these miracles as spiritual lessons of the power of the gospel to transform hearts and lives. Like Jesus' miracles, these two miracles were signs, were, were pointing to something deeper, deeper and deeper beneath the surface of life. Luke included these miracles to show us how God mercifully imparts spiritual healing and new transformed hearts and brand new lives out of helpless and deadness that is inside of us from sin. The Word of God is telling us today, brothers and sisters, that the mighty power of our sovereign God that causes the lost to turn to a saving faith in Jesus Christ should encourage us to proclaim the gospel. 
So in order to do that, I'm going to read through the text again. And just listen and watch, and then we'll walk through it. Now Peter went there, excuse me, while Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, he took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Tabitha made while she was with them. But Peter put them all aside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, the tanner. In our text for today, Luke teaches us four lessons about the mighty power of our sovereign God that causes the lost to turn to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, which should and hopefully will encourage us to proclaim the gospel. We first see the first lesson, the mighty power of our most sovereign God that causes the lost to turn to Jesus Christ should encourage us to proclaim the gospel because knowing that sickness and death are pictures of the spiritual condition of lost people. Let me say that again. In knowing that sickness and death are pictures of the spiritual condition of lost people. It's clear that Dorcas or Tabitha, Dorcas actually is Greek and Tabitha is Aramaic, same person. It's very clear that she was a believer. It says she was a disciple. So now we do not know about Aeneas' background. The fact is he's just called a, a man. And if he was a disciple, I think for sure Luke would have told us. But it seems to indicate he's not saved. But the physical condition, both of Tabitha and Aeneas, represent different pictures of the spiritual condition of every person without Jesus Christ. By nature, we are born as sinners, and we are spiritually dead. We are as unable as a paralyzed man to take a step towards God. We are unable as a dead corpse to make a decision to free ourselves from our sins and live in a way that pleases God. 
The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Ephesians 2 when he writes, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and are by nature, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The Bible is telling us here that fallen humanity is radically depraved. Because of sin, we are deaf, blind, and dead to the things of God. Our hearts are desperately deceitful and corrupt, and our wills are not free, but in bondage to a fallen nature. Given the choice, we will not choose good over evil. And by this you'll probably say, well, that's not true. The first choice we made before God was to reject God. The reality of this tends to offend a lot of people. But the truth is our free will is never truly ever free. It is always in varying degrees being influenced by our fallen nature. That is true even when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul reminds us of that in Romans 7 when he said, I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? It is by the mighty power of our sovereign God through Jesus Christ who rescues us from our free will in the midst of our battle for sin or with sin. Without God's will, we would never surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus. In John 6.44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In John 15.16, he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. In 1 John 12.13, the Apostle John wrote, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay. <laughs> Humanity's rebellion against God is not total in its depth, but rather in its width. That doesn't mean all of us is totally 100% depraved, but it means it extends to every molecule of our lives. The effect of the fall extended to everything, our personality, our body, our thinking, our emotions, our spirits, and even our will. Even when it appears that we're doing things that are morally good in the midst of it, we still have motives and intents and agendas that are bent towards ourselves rather than God. And it's crucial that we affirm this because if we deny it, we will pridefully boast in the things that we think that we can do, but we really aren't doing. The Apostle 
Paul affirms this too in Ephesians 2. Right after telling us that we have a, a depraved nature, he writes, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In knowing that sickness and death are pictures of the spiritual condition of lost people and of our fallen sinful nature, we should be seeking to passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. Amen? Second lesson, the mighty power of our most sovereign God that causes the lost to turn to a saving faith in Jesus Christ should encourage us to proclaim the gospel in knowing that Jesus uses born-again Christians like us to bring his divine healing and the spiritually sick and to the dying people. I'll say that again. In knowing that Jesus uses born-again Christians like us to bring his divine healing to the spiritually sick and those who are dying. Peter was uh, God's instrument to bring divine healing to Ananias and to Tabitha. God used Peter because God uses those who trust in the power of God, not in the power of themselves. Peter didn't say, Aeneas, in the name of Jesus Christ, I heal you. Notice what he said. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter gave all the glory to God and took none for himself. With Tabitha, Peter did not claim to have any power. In fact, he just, if you look there, he just knelt down and prayed, totally depending on God's power and God's will as to what to do. Think of how Peter could have abused this. He could have taken all the credit. In every place he went, he would have gotten lots of attention. But Peter gave God all the glory, and God was pleased to use these miracles to bring many to faith in Jesus Christ, it says. Whether God uses us to perform a miracle or to bring a soul to salvation, we cannot rely on our own ability and we have no reason ever to take credit for anything. We can only say what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's striking that these two miracles closely parallel two miracles Jesus performed. The healing of Aeneas is reflective of the four men who brought the paralytic to Jesus in Matthew 9. And the raising of Tabitha from the dead is reflective of raising Jairus' daughter in Mark 5. Peter was able to imitate Jesus in these because he was with him when he did these things. And you would say, well, what about us? Well, we are with him. We have our, our Bible. We have prayer. We have the presence of Christ within us. Amen? And so we have that same ability to, in a sense, copy, imitate what Jesus does. In fact, we're supposed to be Christ-like too. It's noteworthy also Peter set aside any human prejudices here. 
in order to be an instrument of healing and salvation. Now, we don't know if Aeneas was a Gentile, but we know that whole area was populated with him, so most likely he was. In Acts chapter 10, next week, we will read that God stripped Peter from any kind of Jewish prejudice by sending him to Cornelius' house. But here, in these two events, Peter stayed, it says, in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Well, what happens here is uh, tanners weren't held up very highly. It's significant because Jewish rabbis considered tanners to be unclean people because they constantly were in contact with dead animals. Tanners' homes were smelly. In fact, tanners had to live at least 50 cubits outside of town. And the rabbinical law stated that a young, if a young woman discovered that her fiancé was a tanner, she could break that engagement. Don't marry a tanner. But here, Peter shows no prejudice. In fact, he stays with him for quite a while. The truth is, we all have certain prejudices, but if God is going to use, to share, use us to share, share the gospel, we better lay them aside. There may be certain races or Satan, certain people who sin differently than we do and we don't like. We must put away all prejudices in order to passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. Third lesson is the mighty power of our most sovereign God that causes the lost to turn to a saving faith in Jesus Christ that should encourage us to proclaim the gospel is that in knowing that human inability and death are no hindrance to the mighty power of our most sovereign God. Say that again. In knowing that human ability and death are no hindrance to the mighty power of our most sovereign God. We should get an amen anyways. Amen. The name of Jesus is able to do what no amount of human persuasion or human power can do. Jesus alone can impart strength and give sensation to those who are paralyzed. Jesus alone is the one who can raise a corpse up to a living body. He alone can call a soul out of spiritual bondage or impart eternal life on people who are away from him. He alone can call, uh, call us his instruments and if we think any power belongs, uh, depends upon us, we misunderstand what God is thinking. God only uses us when we are totally incapable of doing things. Peter sure probably saw that with Ananias who was paralyzed, bedridden for eight years, and he looks at him and he says, Aeneas, Christ Jesus heals you. Rise up and make your bed. And I'm sure he sure felt that too, his complete inability with a dead woman in front of him. Who did he depend on? Depended on God. That's the place God wants us. He wants us in that place where we know we don't have any power or any ability to do what he wants us to do. If we have any confidence in our ability to lead a soul to, to Christ, that's a misplaced confidence. It's uh, this used to bother me when I first got saved. People would say, well, I saved four people last week. Mm -hmm. Really? <laughs> and they just say, 
or they, or they would lead you, you know, I'm going to lead you to Jesus. None of that happens. It's all God. It's all God. We, we really, oh, our, our issue in this is rather than being confident, we need to desperately cry out to God in our utter dependence and know that he will work wonders when we do it that way. It's only by the mighty power of our most sovereign God we can passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. Fourth lesson, the mighty power of our most sovereign God that causes the lost to turn to a saving faith in Christ that should encourage us to proclaim the gospel is that we know those who get healed and get saved by the power of God always give evidence always give evidence of healing and salvation. Knowing that those who are healed and saved by our most sovereign God's power will always give evidence to their healing and salvation. Peter commanded Aeneas to stand up, and Aeneas did, and we read that all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. They saw evidence of the miracle. The man had been bedridden, and now he's walking. And the same is true for Tabitha. After she rose from the dead, we read that calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive and it became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. It's extremely difficult to keep a miracle of God quiet. They're not made for that. They're made to be shouted from the rooftops. Whether it be a healing or a raising from the dead or a heart and life surrendered to Jesus. There is always an unmistakable evidence when a lame man gets healed or a dead body is raised to life or a depraved soul is saved by the gospel. Have you ever been there when somebody got saved? It's like an, a love explosion in your face. <laughs> and there's just nothing but joy. Our Lord Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead. And he also did the very same through the Apostle Peter. That's his ministry today. But he's not here. We are. And there's no greater, greater healing than saving people from their sins. No greater resurrection than regenerating those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. God the Father sent Jesus Christ the Son into the world in the form of a human being to sacrifice his life on a cross in our place for our sins so when we surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus, we are forgiven and redeemed and healed and restored back to God and given a new life here on earth and an eternal life with Jesus forever. This, brothers and sisters, is what we have to give away. This is what we have to offer. Amen. And nothing else. Just that. If you put anything else in there, you're going to pollute it. God's power in healing and saving lost people should encourage us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in our churches, in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community, in our country, and in our world, and to ourselves every day. We need the gospel every day, knowing that sickness and death are pictures of the spiritual condition of lost people and our fallen nature, knowing that Jesus uses born-again disciples like us to bring his divine healing to spiritually sick people or people who are dying, knowing that 
human inability and death are no hindrance to the mighty power of our sovereign God. Knowing that those who are healed and saved by our sovereign God's power always give evidence of that healing and salvation. Knowing that when we fulfill this call to share the gospel, that Jesus will someday say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. The Christian poet Edwin Markham once knew a, a, bank, a banker that he entrusted with a settlement uh, from an estate. The banker betrayed him and Markham lost all his money and he was penniless. It made him bitter for years. And at that whole time, he could not write poetry. Then one day, he was trying to, to write and he was sitting at his desk and aimlessly just kind of putting circles on paper And as he doodled, making these circles, suddenly the thought struck him about the great circle of God's love and of how God's love takes us through and to the crucified and risen Christ. And as he sat there, he he also began to put some words on paper. And he wrote a short poem. And the poem is this. I drew a circle and shut him out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. Markham forgave the banker, and he was able to resume his writing, and his best poetry ever came after that time. That's what Jesus Christ can do. He can take a a dead spirit, and heal it. He can raise dead people from life to life. He can take people like us and save us. He can heal bitterness. He can change lives. He can render us uh, cold and indifferent, but he doesn't do that. He just pours his love on us. In Romans 5, it says the Holy Spirit just pours his love into our lives when we come to Christ. The two miracles Jesus did through Peter must have taken everyone by surprise because there's no human hope in that situation. But where there's no human hope, God always breaks through. He does it with his sovereign power and he does it through people like us. Our Lord Jesus is waiting for us to join him in living out our faith. Are you ready? My prayer is in the days and weeks ahead that the fire would burn and the joy would come and we would be part of this great movement where we passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. Amen? Amen. Father, we ask you today just through these two stories that you would give us a little bit of framework and encouragement There's so many people in Port Alberni who are lost. It's it's more than most. It's almost all. And so, Lord, uh, help us here, but also help us as a church that we don't do church, but we are the church, 
We are the church in the sense that this is about you and not about us. And that as we move ahead and continue, Lord, to, to fight through all the things that in our, in our way, we know that we have your sovereign hand, we have your calling, and Lord, we are doing kingdom work. And help us as we go through this to, to just keep us from getting proud in any way. Help us to be desperately dependent on you and also let you be our greatest and deepest joy. So today, Lord, we give you our hearts. Lead us, guide us, and empower us. Help us, Lord, be your instruments of salvation to people in this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.